Bigfoot Society would like to thank the following sponsors for helping make the podcast possible. The Singular Fortean Society has combined open and honest paranormal investigation and journalism since 2016. Visit the Society at Singular Fortean for all the latest weird news and more. Come with us and investigate the impossible. Lauren Smith is the hostess for Nightcaller's Bigfoot Radio, which has been on air for over a decade and has completed over 300 shows. Lauren brings with her a unique viewpoint given that she is not only the daughter of one of the veteran female Bigfoot researchers in the South, but she has been conducting field research since she was a preteen some 20 years ago. Nightcallers is a Bigfoot world favorite, and along with interviewing researchers and witnesses, often features interviews with guests from the documentary film and entertainment industry. Lauren also does a vidcast segment called Nightcallers, which features real encounters sent in by viewers. You can find all of this and more at nightcallersproductions.com. Welcome to the Bigfoot Society Clubhouse, where we discuss a new or old topic in cryptozoology every week. Just hang out and have a good time. I do need to let you know that by hanging out with us on stage and talking in the discussion, you are giving consent to uh, being recorded, which will be used in a future Bigfoot Society podcast, uh, YouTube video, could be anything that you could imagine coming down the way. If you're not comfortable with that, uh, please go ahead and move on down to the audience. Um, sit back, relax, have a good time. Again, thanks to all for uh, hanging out. And, uh, let's just have a good time. Awesome. Well, again, thanks thanks all for hanging out with us tonight. So my name is Jeremiah. I'm the host of the Bigfoot Society podcast. Um Please feel free to uh, introduce who you are if you're involved with a podcast or anything or website before you share your cryptid. Feel free to share that as well. But uh, I'm going to share tonight uh, for a few minutes about, so I'm from the state of Iowa, right? And uh, the topic tonight actually allowed me to uh, figure out a new cryptid for Iowa, which is pretty cool, one I didn't know. Uh, this is called the... Okaboji Lake Monster, which is, it's pretty awesome. So it's from the town of Esterville, Iowa, which is about three hours north of Des Moines, just south of the Minnesota state border. Uh, there's a huge lake up there um, area, Okaboji Lake. It's a big tourist area uh, during the summer. But uh, supposedly there is a big lake monster in there. And there are a few, few times it was seen. Um and I'll get to when it was seen in a few minutes. But the first time uh, was there was a Mr. and Mrs. Bartlett were out in a fishing excursion on the lake. They noticed a terrible commotion in the water. Whatever it was was moving quite rapidly through the water and quite close to the top. It had the appearance of being as large as an overturned skiff. Uh, the other interesting time it was seen, the witnesses said it had a tail like a fish but a hard-shelled body like a turtle that used large flippers to propel its eight-foot-long body. Uh, and uh, it said at first it looked like an alligator. Uh, as the beast made another splash, the two campers noticed the beast had a ripped shell body and long tail, complete with long neck and teeth. Uh, <clears throat> it's kind of weird to see something like that in Iowa, but the really crazy thing is when this took hap this took place. So it took place 
in July of 1903, which if we know our Iowa cryptid history is two months before what happened in the town of Van Meter, Iowa, uh, the Van Meter Visitor. Uh, So I'm using my resource tonight is the Van Meter Visitor by Chad Lewis and Kevin Lee Nelson. But it's uh, very cool to know that there is another big cryptid sighting just before uh, my favorite in the year of 1903, which would be, you know, the Van Meter Visitor. But that is the cryptid that I am going to share tonight. Um, Carter, do you mind, uh, unless anyone had any thoughts about that, uh, feel free to to share, of course. If not, I will uh, pass the mic to Carter next. Okay, wait, sorry, real quick, I had a thought. Um, You said that this was two months before the Van Meter Visitor? Totally. Do you have any thoughts on that being part of like a cryptid flap type of situation? Um, so I would love to think that maybe there was some weird stuff going down in 1903 in Iowa. And um, the thing I haven't really looked into is that if there's even more stuff that happened in 1903 in Iowa, maybe there was. Uh, I have I have some more research to do and um once things open up and it gets uh nicer to go out and stuff i've even got plans to kind of get involved with the historical society in des moines and start doing some digging mark marcel style um that's something i've kind of kept to myself but i think it would be fun to start looking through old newspapers so we'll see you know stay tuned sarah on that do you need a satchel (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I think any good researcher needs a satchel, definitely, Greg. <laughs> oh, of course. <laughs> All right, go ahead, Carter. All right. Uh, so for anybody who doesn't know me who's new to the whole uh, clubhouse, I'm Carter Reeves. I'm from Mysteries Obscure. Uh, I'm going to be talking about the Lake Michigan Sea Serpent of Illinois. And, well, I guess Lake Michigan is all in the states around it. But... um. Basically, the whole story is uh, the first sighting was on a clear day in March of 1893. Uh, There was a policeman named H.R. Brinkerhoff. And while he was working one day in his office, um, he looked out the window and found this black speck just like on the surface of the water. And of course, like (laughs) any other guy would do, um, he called in one of his friends who was working with him. And um, he came in and they were just baffled at the site and um, later heard um, they went around and they found out that over 200 people uh, saw the same thing that day at like different points in the day. Um, So a lot of like eyewitness sightings. Um, So the newspapers reported it. And um, what's crazy is this, the whole thing, like, the monster is very similar to depictions of the Loch Ness Monster of Scottish uh, lore. And nobody really talks about the story or like what happened. And it's kind of very much suppressed in like Chicago. Like not many people know about it because um, it doesn't have like a catchy name or anything like that. But um, no, there has been several sightings like other ones, I remember 1952 and I think 1934. Uh, there's been several other sightings throughout the years uh, that went by. But um, no, it's crazy. The first one was uh, 1893. Um, but that's just my small cryptid. Um, just have a little small thing on that. 
um, if anybody else has any comments, uh, feel free to share. All right. Awesome. Carter, um, go ahead and, uh, let's, uh, let's keep it rolling. Who are you going to pick next here? Oh, um, uh, Greg, let's hear yours. Hi, I'm uh, Greg Morrill. I run all the weird on Instagram and I host a Star Wars podcast with, uh, Matt Shang from the Moth Boys and Yami Gonzalez from Cryptid Chat with Yami. Um, it's called Order 66. Um, I'm going to talk about uh, Canadian Lake Monster because I'm Canadian and I've actually been to this lake. So um, I'm going to talk about Ogopogo. He's uh, He's found in uh, British Columbia in a city called Kelowna, and the lake is Lake Okanagan. Um, so, Ogopogo is said to be found in the waters of Lake Okanagan, Kelowna, British Columbia, Canada. Uh, the Salish First Nations people who have resided in the area for over 20,000 years Told legends of the um, of the spirit of the lake, who would take the form of a great serpent. Um, the city of Kelowna benefits from the tourist draw of Ogopogo. Uh, they have a they have a really nice uh, downtown lakefront area. There's restaurants and touristy things to do. Uh, it's really, really a beautiful uh, part of Canada, and if you ever get the opportunity to go check it out, I highly recommend it. Um, so there's been several, like many, and some uh, pretty uh, interesting photographs taken. Uh, one of the leading Ogopogo uh, researchers is Bill Stasiuk, who started the OgopogoQuest.com website. He uh, compiles sightings, and he's actually had a couple sightings of his own. Uh, one one of his more notable ones was in 1978 when he was crossing the floating bridge from West Kelowna to Kelowna downtown and him and several other motorists saw the creature crest and uh, dive back under the water. Um, I guess uh, there isn't there isn't much to say as in like as far as evidence go there's been a lot of uh, investigation and uh, resources put into locating at one point the city of Kelowna had a uh, had a capture ogopogo for for a bounty until uh, i think it was greenpeace stepped in and said you can't do that like they'll be it'll be nuts like people just be out there 
trying to kill whatever moves in the water. Um, so they changed it to capture a photograph of Ogopogo for for a prize. Um, other than that, uh, I guess the area is also known for uh, for Sasquatch sightings. Um, it's a rich indigenous uh, culture out there, and just like the scenery, the mountains, the lake itself is it's just gorgeous. There's just a feeling of very powerful ancient energy when you go out to this area. Um, I don't know if anyone's ever experienced that when they visited a place, but it's something that I definitely felt. Um, I guess that's pretty much what I wanted to share on Ogopogo today. And how about I ask my friend Lisa to step up with her water cryptid. Wait, really quick before Lisa, because this is now going to be stuck in my head. Did you listen to the Ogopogo song by Paul Whiteman Orchestra as part of your research? <laughs> no, I read about it, though. And... Oh, it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry to interrupt. <laughs> yeah, oh, another fun fact is that Ogopogo is a palindrome, so it's spelt the same way forward as it is backwards. That is amazing. I love that. Hey, Sarah, if you want to go before me, you could go ahead and go. I know you're tired. Oh, no, I'm totally awake now. I took a shower oh, okay. and like popped up. I'm fine. Thank you. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, then I will jump on in. I'm Lisa with Cryptid Comforts, and I make handcrafted cryptid-themed stuffies and other fun nonsense. Uh, you can find me on Instagram. Uh my pick is, so I'm from the Pacific Northwest. We have a few cool water cryptids out this way. The one I chose, I chose because I spend so much time sitting out looking at the Columbia River when I'm in Portland. And I'm constantly hoping I will see Colossal Claude. So he is the one that I have brought to you guys today. So Colossal Claude uh, actually has not been seen. I guess the last uh, known sighting of him was in 1989. So it's been a while. So chances of me actually seeing him, pretty slim. But I, I keep an eye out. Um, but the first sighting of him was in 1934. Uh, the crew of the Columbia River Lightship had a run-in with a creature they said was 40 feet long with an eight-foot-long neck, a horse-shaped head. It was kind of a gray fur. Um, and the thing was just gigantic. And it was in uh, March, so during Chinook season, uh, the Chinook salmon run is... A really popular thing that happens in the area so tons of fish just all over the place spawning and uh, so it makes sense um, that all of the sightings happen to occur interestingly enough during the Chinook salmon run so uh, that was the first one then a few years later in 1937 a commercial fishing crew uh, called the Viv um, ran into a very similar looking creature and they noted that its body was like four uh yeah what was it uh yeah 
four feet wide, I think is what they said at the body, and that the head looked like a giant horse. Um, someone else referred to it as a, a an aquatic giraffe-looking creature. Um, it was seen again a couple years later in 1939. And, oh, it's important to note here that in the two years between those last two sightings, the 37 and the 39 one, that uh, the Grand Coulee Dam had... Uh, been cut off and most of the spawning fish were kind of removed from the area so it was harder to find salmon and uh, on the 1939 one it was a halibut fishing crew called Argo that uh, saw him not 10 feet from the ship eating the fish out of their net like they just he destroyed the net and was eating all the fish. The whole crew sees him. Um, I also find this one fascinating because every time that there's like a witness account of it, it's large crews who are seeing it. So it's not just one individual person. It's a bunch of people cooperating the story. Um, let's see. So then we're going to, so after, uh, after the 39 sighting, it wasn't really seen again for quite a while until there was a sighting of what would be a similar creature, but not, it couldn't have been the same one because this one was considerably smaller and they said it was only about 15 feet. So maybe a juvenile, but all the other characteristics seemed very similar. Um, and it would happen to be the Shell Oil Company that had the sighting when they were looking for oil. So I want to get more details on that because it's rumored that they actually got video footage, but I have no idea if any of that is actually true. Um, but yeah, so that was in 1963. And then in 1989, uh, there it was another uh commercial boat came across a giant thing that was right in front of their boat stealing the fish from their commercial net and tore the net all up so uh that that is it that is that is the story of colossal quad lisa that that was legit um right away i have a question for you have and this is free okay. advertisement for rogue ale have you tried the colossal quad drink by rogue ale that's what I have first. not. I just heard that they had made one. <laughs> that looks um, amazing. But I haven't tried it. I love their bat squatch. So. Oh, cool, cool. All right. Good job. Good job. Thanks. Uh, I'm going to turn it over to, well, we'll go ahead and go with Sarah. Hey, okay. Um, hey, I'm Sarah. I'm the owner and curator of the American Snallygaster Museum here in Maryland and obviously quite a big cryptid fan. Um, I actually changed my cryptid that I was gonna do tonight. So um, I am doing Chessie, who is our uh, Maryland Chesapeake Bay monster, kind of our Loch Ness type of guy. And um, I can't believe this wasn't my first thought when we discussed water monsters last week, but I actually was, I'm an ER nurse. I worked in Baltimore for a long time and I had a patient tell me that they actually saw Chessie so I thought that was pretty fascinating. Okay, so Chessie was first spotted in um, the 1930s. Let me find my thing, I wasn't ready yet. <laughs> um, da, 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 da. 
Okay, sometime in the 1930s, basically from a, by a military helicopter. Um, they described it as being 40 feet long, five inches wide and seven or eight inches deep. And um, this was in the Chesapeake Bay. There have been several pictures taken of Chessie um, that have been published in the Baltimore Sun. Um, lots of stuff by different fishermen. We have a spotting in 1978 by a retired CIA officer. Lots of spotting by families out boating and even a video from the 80s, but it's, it's pretty grainy, so it's not the greatest. Um, the most recent sighting with uh, coverage was in 2014 when someone said they spotted a long snake-like creature slithering through the water with a serpentine motion that was at least 20 feet long. Some people think this could be an anaconda, but it's not really realistic that it could live in the cold water of the Chesapeake Bay. And there was actually a, a manatee that got very confused and ended up in the Chesapeake Bay in 1994 and actually came back to visit every year until 2011. That was nicknamed Chessie, but that also doesn't account for the sightings. So the last official sightings, 2014, but for me, I'm gonna say summer 2019 when my patient jumped into the Baltimore Harbor because he swore that he saw this thing. That is the, the craziest story. Like, that's why he was in the ER, because he jumped into the harbor to go after it, you're saying, in 2019? Yes, and we had to put him in, like, the decontamination shower because the harbor is absolutely filthy and disgusting. It was awful, but he was, I mean, adamant that he saw this monster in there. So who knows? He may have been intoxicated. That may have played a part, but I still think it's pretty interesting that that was his reason because it's a pretty long jump and it's a pretty extreme thing to do. If you're not from here, you may not know, but it's pretty disgusting. That That's super interesting. I think that's the most recent sighting so far in this discuss, discussion. I'm, I'm pretty sure we'll see if there's anything more recent, but thank I you, I had Sarah. a quick question for Sarah. Um, you said there was a, a manatee in Chesapeake Bay? Yes, there was a very confused, they're not the brightest creatures. Um, so it's happened they, a few times where manatees have gotten confused. I literally do not understand that. I didn't know that this could happen. Um, but it says that this Florida manatee has visited the bay several times between 1994 and 2011. And after the 1994 visit, they tagged it so they could keep track of it. And it kept coming back. So she got the nickname Chessie, which I thought was very cute. Uh, okay, that makes sense. All right, but they don't um, naturally live there. <laughs> yeah, I've had uh, I've heard stories of um, like beluga whales coming up the St. Lawrence River, like as far as Montreal, and wondering like how many uh, ocean or other types of sea life go into new uh, new waters just to just out of curiosity and get misidentified. That is a really interesting thought, Greg. That's awesome. I'm sorry, did you pick another person? Oh, oh my go? gosh, sorry. Yeah, I'm going to call on Kenzie. Well, hi, guys. Um, my name is Kenzie, and I am the host of the Crypto Chats podcast. Uh, you can find me on Instagram. And I'm going to talk to you guys about the Bear Lake monster. Um, I start, I really like, you'll, you'll hear, I really focused in my research on like one specific part of this because I thought it was like just really bizarre, but it also like come, somehow like relates to my childhood. 
and I just thought it was crazy. So I wanted to like really hone in on that one specific part of it. Um, so for a little context, Bear Lake is uh, basically it's on the border of Idaho and Utah. And the border of the two states literally goes right through the middle of the lake, which I think is just kind of cool. Um, so basically, it is a lake monster, very standard in description, with the exception of it's described as having uh, really long legs like 18 inch legs that it's been seen uh, walking along the shoreline on. Um, And it's also described to be cream colored, which is, I feel like pretty different um, as opposed to like the standard uh, lake monster that we know and love. Um, And one other thing about its uh, physical description is that the couple of uh, eyewitnesses that have seen it have described it as being um, at most 50 feet long and at least 40 feet long so that's big that's a big boy um but yeah yeah so huge huge lake monster and this giant lake on the border of idaho and utah so basically um the first like actual recorded sighting of this cryptid uh dates back to 1868 when um a chief of an indigenous tribe in the area was interviewed about this creature's existence and he basically said yeah no we've been leaving offerings for what they call the water devil for years on end now to try to keep the peace because we don't like it um and that was in 1868 i believe it might have been 69 but i'm pretty sure it was 68 so then we're going to fast forward a little bit um and there was a mormon colonizer named joseph c rich who kind of came in and he like took over and he saw this creature and he was like great we're seeing this thing we're going to start talking about it um because of his influence in the mormon church um the latter the the church of latter-day saints got really invested in this cryptid they took like a lot of interest in it and they started doing preaching tours specifically to that area so that they could talk to locals about their experiences with this creature this is the part that I think is like super interesting because I grew up going to Mormon church. I grew up going to the church of later day Saint, latter day Saints rather, sorry, in New Hampshire. And um, I don't go anymore, but I, I grew up doing it. So I just, I didn't think that there was a, a connection between Mormonism and cryptozoology until uh, I did some research into this. Um, so anyway, uh, fast forward a little bit. They got so interested in this creature that the president of the Latter-day Saints church at that time, uh, I don't remember what his name was, sorry, I didn't write it down, um, decided to go in and uh, basically launch a full-scale investigation into the cryptid. And uh, he went so far as to send a massive piece of rope to Idaho to um, kind of aid in the capture of the bear-like monster. Um, this man, specifically the the first white guy that we talked about, Joseph Rich, um, he eventually went on record and said, hey, you know, like, I made it up. I, you know, I fooled you all. Like, that wasn't real. Um, and then a lot of people in the area, including all of the indigenous people who have been, you know, witnessing this cryptid for a very long time, kind of came forward and were like, well, that's not totally true, I guess. Like, you, you might have made up your sighting, but... We all still think that this exists. And um, as far as like modern sightings, there's not really a lot, I'll be honest.
but I do like one of the things I really like about areas with weird cryptids is that um, sometimes they like kind of take that cryptid and just like thrust it into everything that they do in their area and this area is no exception to that and they had Bear Lake monster tours where people would get a 45 minute scenic lake tour where they would get an entire description of the cryptids like history its origins uh what it looked like in a boat that was <laughs> modeled after the bear like monster um and yeah i don't that's what i got for you guys i'll be honest i was really tired when i was researching this so i know that that was a little scatterbrained a little more than usual but that's what i have for you thank you that's pretty cool i feel like i've heard you mentioned uh, Mormonism and uh, like cryptids. I, I feel like I've heard something about Bigfoot and Mormonism in the past, like Cain. I don't know. I'm not sure if that's a thing, but pretty cool that the lake monster was associated with them. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like I went to Mormon church until I was 13 and I have like no conscious memories of like there being any relation between, you know, what I was being told when I was going to church and like cryptozoology. So it's like it was just weird for me to be doing the research and be like, oh my God, like, this is crazy. A bunch of Mormons were like, so hyped about this uh, cryptid that they launched this whole investigation. And I was like, wow, maybe, maybe this was the, the path my life was supposed to take or something. I don't know. Wow. That is, that, that is super fascinating. I mean, after this, I'm going to look to see if there's a, a book written about the uh, relationship between uh, Mormonism and cryptozoology. That would be pretty interesting to read, I think. I realize I didn't um, call on someone to go next, so I'm going to go ahead and call on Jeff. Um, oh, go ahead. Hold Greg. on one sec. Go ahead, Greg. Um, uh, Lauren actually requested to go next because she's got to uh, get to bed. So That's cool. <laughs> Sorry, my bad. Go ahead, Let's Lauren. Let's invite Lauren to the stage. Thank you guys. I got my COVID vaccine last night and it is kicking my tail today. Um, no, like my arm hurts and I'm tired, um, like exhausted. But other than that, no huge side effects. So I'm pretty grateful. Anyway, I'm Lauren. I'm from Nightcaller's Bigfoot Radio and I'm based out of Oklahoma. So I stole the Oklahoma octopus back from Keith Rollins, who could not be here tonight. So the Oklahoma octopus is um, basically it, people started saying that this was a thing. Um, they were blaming all these swimming and drowning deaths on this thing and saying that it was this thing living in the lakes of Oklahoma, um, specifically uh, Lake Thunderbird, Ulaga Lake, and Lake Tenkiller. And I have either swam or kayaked or fished in all of those lakes, so that's vaguely terrifying. Um, anyway, so it attacks and kills unsuspecting swimmers. However, there's no existing footage of it, um, and there's no physical evidence, really, um, despite reports of numerous sightings of this thing. So it's most likely a cephalopod, uh, more specifically, you know, an octopus, according to the description of the creature. Um, this would make the Oklahoma octopus the only freshwater-dwelling cephalopod species. Um, this would not make the animal entirely unique because there are other members of the typically marine um, environment that do live in freshwater environments, like certain sharks. 
anyway, um, octopi have been recorded at least for brief times living in freshwater environments. Um, one such case involves a common octopus being caught at Lake Conway in Faulkner County, Arkansas, which I thought was fascinating because I did not know that. Um, they think most likely it was released as a pet and it survived out there a little bit. Um, the description of this creature, however, is that it's like the size of a horse and has leathery reddish brown skin. Um, again, it lives in these, in these lakes. And so people think that it is a rare living fossil that's still surviving. Um, and that this part of the country was long ago a shallow sea. So it's perfect for the octopus, like perfect environment. Um, and the octopus, you know, they adapt to different types of water. So, you know, they can habitate um, from the tropics to the frigid waters of Antarctica. Um, however, to go ahead and, you know, cut this down, it, you know, it sounds great. You know, there's a lot, all these witness encounters and everything, but most of the lakes in Oklahoma were constructed in the mid 20th century and by damming up lakes or by damming up rivers and stuff like that. So I doubt that a fossil would live that long. And then um, all of the bodies that were pulled out of the water, they didn't have any sucker lacerations on them, which I know is really morbid, but you know, if it was really pulled down by an octopus, there would be like the kraken going on. Um, so that's, I mean, that's basically kind of it. It's just, we have this, uh, folklore type thing where um, they're blaming all these drownings on, on a water cryptid and they decided the octopus of Oklahoma would be the thing the way to go with that and so yeah that's the water cryptid of Oklahoma so just the fact that you have horse-sized octopus <laughs> and crazy uh, Bigfoot in uh area x in oklahoma too that just blows my mind like that's pretty solid lauren i know we we don't have any like lizard people or you know anything interesting but we do have by god that oklahoma octopus and big feet coming out of our ears <laughs> i think this needs to be said but octopus are basically aliens a hundred percent basically they're extraterrestrial <laughs> Yeah, they are for sure one of the most unique animals there is. Yes, and they're very adaptable. I read in my research about this. I found out so much about octopi that I never knew. But they are so adaptable to different environments that um, they had like this whole thing lined out where it traveled up the Mississippi and it slowly adapted to fresh water. And then by the time it made it to Oklahoma, it was okay to live in our lakes. Like somebody mapped this entire thing out, which I thought was fascinating. Ink. <laughs> and I think Jeff was next. And thank you guys for having this amazing discussion tonight. Hope you get some rest, Lauren. Thank you. Yeah, take care of yourself. Um, hi, everyone. I'm Jeff. Uh, I'm the host of the Strangeology podcast uh, and YouTube channel. Uh, you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, uh, wherever there's social, social media, I'm usually there. <laughs> uh, so tonight I'm going to talk about uh, Sinkhole Sam. Um, 
so the legend of Sinkhole Sam comes from the small town of central Kansas uh, called uh, Inman. And uh, like many small towns in America, uh, this town has a legend. <laughs> and it's a, a legend of a, a, water, a water-based cryptid. So the legend revolves around uh, this creature, which is said to be a large um, serpentine monster which lives in a nearby lake just northeast of the town called Lake Inman. Um, and as a backstory during the, uh, which is important later, uh, during the 1920s and 30s, uh, many of the lakes in central Kansas were drained. Uh, and this left uh, Lake Inman as one of the largest natural lakes uh, left in the state um, today. So it's not a big lake. It only measures about uh, a square quarter mile. <laughs> it's really more of a pond. Um, and uh, about 50, 60 years ago, locals in the area began to report seeing this strange creature swimming within it um, in a uh, particular region of, of the lake called the Big Sinkhole. Uh, the first known account of Sinkhole Sam comes from uh, 1952, uh, I guess there were two unidentified men, you know, those anonymous reports, uh, who spotted some weird creature while they were fishing uh, in the lake one day. And then a year later, 1953, another encounter was reported. Uh, this one's a little better documented, uh, but it was by um, local teenagers at the time. Uh, they were like 18 years old. Um, Albert Newfeld and George Rager, uh, who claimed to have spotted Sinkhole Sam. Uh, Newfeld, he uh, he apparently took it upon himself to uh, <laughs> quote defend the town by taking pot shots on the beast from a nearby bridge, um, and he missed before the creature escaped underwater. Uh, and beyond that, uh, there were multiple reports. Um, in the following years of a massive snake-like creature swimming within Lake Inman. And descriptions of Sam uh, seemed to kind of coalesce uh, around it being a serpentine uh, creature. Uh, most estimates were that it was around 15 feet in length and about as thick and round as a car tire. Most witness reports of this creature didn't really indicate that it was a dangerous or aggressive creature, uh, but reports of single Sam became so notorious that it drew tourists from all around hoping to catch a glimpse of this curious lake monster, which I'm sure did great for local businesses. <laughs> um, and today you can still hear locals talking about this this weird, curious lake creature. Uh, apparently, Inman has a, an annual festival uh, in September called uh, the Santa Fe Day, which uh, the whole theme of that is celebrating the history of the Santa Fe Trail, which cut through the area. Um, and uh, according to some articles that I read, if you're ever at the festival, sometimes you can still hear uh, people who are, were around back then recounting uh, sightings of Sinkhole Sam, which is kind of cool. Um, now, as far as what this creature was, some people think that 
sinkhole Sam was real, maybe some kind of abnormally large uh, snake or maybe like a giant earthworm. There are known earthworms that can grow up to six feet in length. So that's about half the size of sinkhole Sam. Um, but the most popular idea uh, in my research that I found was that people um, like to think that he was uh, some kind of unknown prehistoric species that came from a network of underground caverns um, under the area um, and was displaced um, when uh, all the lakes in central Kansas were were drained <laughs> back in the 20s. So that's where that piece comes into play uh, back in the 20s and 30s. Um, but, you know, since like the 50s and 60s, sightings have stopped. Uh, so most people think that if sinkhole Sam was a real creature, it may be that it died or it's also possible that if it was like some kind of subterranean uh, cavern creature, it could have retreated uh, into the sinkhole and back on deep underground. So <laughs> that's the story of uh, sinkhole Sam. And uh, yeah, I, uh, if anyone has any comments, I think, uh we're good otherwise i can uh pass the mic off to alex awesome thanks for sharing man that's definitely definitely a bit of a strange one i have not heard of that one before so my name is alexander Petikov. i am a filmmaker adventurer um youtube channel sasquatch out of the shadows i work with small town monsters as well as chasing legends so uh surprise surprise i'm gonna pick champ the lake monster of Lake Champlain. Those that know me obviously know I'm very fond of that mystery. Five minutes, Alex. Absolutely five minutes. I, I know. I I, <laughs> I I promise I will keep it within five minutes. I, I'm I've got like a little uh, kind of game plan here. So yeah, I could talk about this all day, as Jeremiah was alluding to. Uh, basically, uh, the Lake Champlain monster, aka Champ or Champy, is said to live in Lake Champlain, which is a uh, a massive lake, 120 miles long, about 12 miles wide at the widest, 420 feet deep at the deepest. Uh, it borders Lake, or excuse me, it borders Vermont, the state of Vermont, as well as New York, and it juts into Quebec, Canada, just a little bit. It's a really mysterious lake. It was part of the uh, Atlantic Ocean at one point. It was known as the Champlain Sea around 10 to 12,000 years ago. There were whales and other marine life that lived in the lake. And there are actually some fish today that live in the lake that were adapted from saltwater fish, and uh, such as the Atlantic salmon in the lake and um, some of the other fish that are found. There's over 90 species of fish in the lake today. It's one of the most biodiverse. In North America, it is one of the largest lakes in North America. I think it's in like the top 15 list. So it's, it's, it's up there. I mean, it's nothing compared to the Great Lakes, but it's still an amazing place. So for centuries, people have told the story of seeing this strange creature uh, living in, in the waters of the lake. It started with the uh, Abenaki on one side and the Vermont side, the Algonquin tribes there. And then on the other side, you had the Mohawk, you know, part of the Iro Iroquois Confederacy. They all had stories. Uh, settlers, when they started coming in the area, you had stories going back to the Revolutionary War in that time period. It wasn't until about 1819, or actually 1809, I should say, there was a newspaper article that mentioned uh, some sort of a sea serpent in the lake. And then in 1819, there was a story about it being seen in uh, Bullwaga Bay, which is a place that it's known, been known to be seen over the years in uh, near Port Henry, New York, which today claims to be the home of champ so it's basically described as having the long neck the humps uh, occasionally on land sightings where flippers are described in a plesiosaur like appearance some of the older reports tend to be 
more serpent-like. They called it the, the Lake Champlain Sea Serpent. And in the 1870s, there was a big serpent scare down by Whitehall, New York, in which P.T. Barnum actually ended up putting up a bounty for Champ at that time, which is pretty interesting. And Champ had a heyday well before Nessie. I mean, Nessie was known from the 1930s on. Champ was already, you know, well-known in the headlines across America at that point. And it kind of went out of fashion for a little bit. It came back and Champ has had waves of sightings every once in a while it'll come back into the media but there have been sightings pretty much consistently up until uh you know september of 2020 um i was up there we were filming for chasing legends we put out an episode about that recently and we talked to some people who had experiences the you know the weekend basically before we were there and that summer there seemed to be a lot more sightings this summer because of uh maybe covid the international shipping between canada and the u.s on the lake was shut down so uh, lots of great sightings. I mean, you have the Sandra Mancy photo, which to, to this day is the best example of a lake monster photo. It's never been debunked um, or proven, but it hasn't, un unlike the Loch Ness photo, the surgeon photo has not been proven to be a fake. You have supposed echolocation as well. Lots of pieces of uh, supposed video evidence like the Baudet film and the, um, the Olsen video. There's and there's plenty of photos and, and many more stories. I mean, I've interviewed a bunch of witnesses and uh, I'm convinced there's something going on in that lake. It's one of the most beautiful places in the Northeast. Absolutely. They call it the West Coast of New England for a reason. If you ever have a chance to go there, um, check it out. Hit me up. I have a champ road trip guide starts in Whitehall and kind of goes all around the lake. And if you want to find out more, a couple of books I'd recommend are The Untold Story of Champ by Robert Bartholomew. Solid book about the history of champ. Champ Beyond the Legend by Joseph Zarzinski, uh, the Vermont Monster Guide by Joseph Citro and Steve Bissett. And for media stuff, obviously, I'm going to have to plug myself. So um, my series on the trail of Champ uh, through Small Town Monsters did that a few years ago. As I mentioned, Chasing Legends, we just put out an episode on that. And um, Monster Quest, there's a lot of other shows that have covered over the years, but it's it's the most fascinating lake monster mystery in the world to me, even more so than Nessie. So that's pretty much it. Bravo. That's Alex. awesome, Alex. Good yeah, stuff. so I'm going to pick, uh, let's see, who hasn't gone yet? Uh, I know Tate likes to go last, so I'm going to pick Mike then. How you doing, Mike? <laughs> I'm doing good. I knew you were going to go there. Um, so... Uh... Sorry, I'm joining you guys a little late. Uh, so I'm going to be doing Old Greeny um, in my area. Of hey, Mike, why don't you shout out uh, who you are and where people can find you? Okay. I'm Mike uh, from Tactical Bigfoot Research and Where's My Sage, uh, the podcast. You can find me at Tactical Bigfoot Research on Facebook youtube and instagram or you can also find me on youtube facebook instagram and twitter underneath where's my sage where i'm a co-host there um so uh, i'm doing a, the uh, old greenie from Cayuga lake which is in the finger lakes region of new york and uh, i've been doing uh uh, a little research through the area um, because every time I turn around to one of the lakes in the area, I keep finding another story. And there's two different creatures in two different lakes, but ironically, they're both uh, tied together with underground uh, channels and a full uh, canal system that runs between both lakes. 
And uh, so Cayuga Lake, uh, and I'm pulling from uh, Mysterious Universe for my first uh, sighting. Cayuga Lake is one of upstate New York's uh, glacial lakes, uh, and they're both glacial lakes. The Finger Lakes, there's a, there's a bunch of them in the area, uh, and the history is, is very interesting. Uh, the Iroquois, uh, of course, were in that area, and a lot of the stories come from their, uh, their native uh, serpent legends as well. Uh, the, the lake is, uh, this particular lake, Cayuga Lake, is 435 foot deep. And it's home to two water monsters, actually. Uh, but Old Greeny is the big one. And pulling from, from that particular uh, location on there. Uh, Life of the Finger Lakes also brings up uh, some interesting information about the lake. The lake is actually uh, 38 miles in length. Uh, Greeny is generally said to be green. Um, there's supposed to be a couple of victims that were in the area. Um, so that pounces over to uh, Seneca Lake. And in Seneca Lake, there this is another finger lake. It's 38 miles long. They say it's 617 feet. Um, but I tell you, it's a little bit deeper than that. Uh, the Navy actually tests um, different uh, submarine uh, items there. Mike, Again, sorry, I'm going to pause you for, sorry, one quick second. Um, I do see the raised hand in a few minutes. We're going to um, definitely bring some people up for questions. Just want to make sure that uh, people didn't think we were ignoring them. So sorry, Mike, go ahead. Oh, no problem. And it's nice to know that that raised hand is there. Um, so again, this, this is a pretty good sized lake. These are um, both together. And in the uh, 18, uh, nine, uh, 1899, actually, uh, Captain Carlton C. Harridan uh, and his pilot, Frederick Rose, actually saw what they thought was an overturned boat and that was 25 foot long. However, when they closed in on it, it turned and swam away. Uh, those, uh, they, it was uh, two, row, had two rows of sharp white teeth. Now the, uh, the old greenie, which is next to it uh, in, the, in the Cuga Lake, uh, very similar to description. Um, again, it's that snake-like uh, appearance, the green. And uh, again, I'm pulling this one now from Cryptid uh, Fandom. And that gives a nice little description. So I, I'm doing a little more digging because as I go along here, uh, there's an additional lake, which is Silver Lake. And again, these are all within 45 minutes to an hour drive from each other. Each lake has its own uh, creature, but they all have that similar uh, giant freshwater eel uh, look to them. In uh, the lake that I actually do some diving in uh, and have run an underwater robot in, there's actually stories of an 80-foot snake uh, skeleton that was found. So in my research, I'm wondering if it's actually related to that. So Old Greeny and then, again, the this, this Seneca Lake monster are mine, and I'll, I'm going to cut it short as you've got some questions in the audience tonight. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Mike. All I can think of is uh, when you said that long skeleton is like the crate dragon from Star Wars in the desert. I think that's how you say it. Greg, you'll have to correct me if I said it wrong. But um, You're good, man. All right, I'm good. 
Um, Tate, are you cool if I uh, if we go to questions? Are you cool, man? That actually makes me relieved. Yeah, I know. I if you'd like to hang out with us in the Bigfoot Society Club, uh, now there's a... Uh, it's a little bit different now. So we actually have a club set up. We are the first cryptozoology-themed uh, club on Clubhouse. Um, if you would like to get on the platform, you have an iPhone. It's iPhone only right now. Uh, just uh, contact me on Instagram at Bigfoot Society or contact any of the uh, people that were on stage with me that you may know as well, and uh, we can hook you up with an invite. We'll do our best anyways. Um, yeah, but we would love to have you just uh, search for Bigfoot Society in the Clubhouse app. Uh, click the follow button, and then uh, we'll we'll make you a member of the club. Um, and then uh, you know, you'll get the notifications. We do a club uh, room every... Wednesday p.m. 9.30 Central Standard Time. Um, and a different topic about cryptozoology every week, but um, usually uh, we're going to be having a Q&A time um, after the uh, discussion. Uh, that, unless it's special, will probably not be recorded. So you definitely want to uh, not miss out on that Q&A time. Uh, it's kind of a special time for those that are there. But again, thanks for listening to this uh, great discussion we had about the different regional water cryptids that can be found all over the place. A lot of really uh, cool uh, discussions. But thanks again for listening uh, to Bigfoot Society. I appreciate your, you using your uh, time to listen to this as you go about your day. Um, Again, check us out at www.bigfootsocietypodcast.com um, and uh, at Bigfoot Society on Instagram. And uh, we'll see you next week with another interview. Uh, some really good ones coming up. So we'll talk to you later. Have a good one, guys.